Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, if you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 45, we'll be reading verses 1 through 5. Genesis 45 verses 1 through 5. Uh, as you turn there, I want to preface a couple of things to kind of help us understand the moment, the picture of what's taking place of what we're getting ready to read. The, the patriarch Jacob, you will understand Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. And there are 10 of those sons who hated their brother so much, hated their brother Joseph so much that they were willing to rob him of his future. They were willing to rob him of his life. They were willing to rob him of every purpose he had in life by selling him into slavery. And they, they did this because they, 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 they felt as though that it would be better. I want you to think about this thought for a moment. They did this because they felt as though that it would be better to get rid of him than to deal with him. They felt as though that it would be better to get rid of their brother who they did not get along with than to try to figure how to get along with their brother. They did this because of what they felt about him in light of how they viewed themselves. Think about that for a second. And now 22 years later, they are face to face with the one who they betrayed, who now has the control to delay for many generations the promise to come. Joseph in this moment has the power to delay the promise or to advance the promise. In this moment, he has the ability to just think about himself and what they did to him or to think about the kingdom of God and what God wants to accomplish. And so we read in Genesis 45, verse 1, it says, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. He excused all of the Egyptians. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers and he wept aloud. I want you to try to use your imagination right now. Imagine after 22 years, they thought that Joseph was dead. They, they thought that they would never see him again. But after 22 years, Joseph is weeping and he's revealing himself to his brothers. And he wept aloud and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed. They were horrified in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. Everybody say come near. I can only imagine they probably just took a couple of steps of hesitation in that moment because they didn't know what Joseph was going to do. So they came near then. He said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve it. David had enough sense and a revelation in the kingdom of God to say, I can be mad at you right now. But I knew that God had a plan all along. Everybody say God had a plan. Y'all going to help me preach today? Amen. So through it all, God was faithful to Joseph, and Joseph was faithful to God. He was committed to pleasing God in all that he did, even at the expense of his own reputation, even at the expense of his own hurt and pain. He was focused and devoted on pleasing God, and the Lord used the many hardships in Joseph's life to build character and elevate him to be in a position to save his entire family from a famine so that the promise of the nation and that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could live on. Everybody say live on. Jacob was more focused on the righteousness of God than his rightness. 
And so for the next few moments, I want to preach to you on this title, A Rightness That Is Not Righteous. A Rightness That Is Not Righteous. You can stay seated. If you can put down your Bibles, I want you to connect with your neighbor however it's appropriate. And I just want you to just begin to pray right now. We're going to ask the Lord to prepare our hearts right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, we have read your word, dear God, and we simply want you to speak to us, dear God. Father, we want to have ears to hear, dear God, what you want us to hear, dear God. We are not seeking our will, dear God. We're not seeking to have our ears tickled, dear God. But right now in this moment, dear God, we want to hear what thus saith the Lord, dear God. We want to hear, dear God, what your word wants to reveal to us, dear God. So, Father, give us ears right now. Father, anoint my tongue, dear God, that I only speak the words that you give me and that I speak with conviction. In your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Let the church say amen. 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 Born in 1918 in South Africa during, during a time of civil unrest was a man named Nelson Mandela. Raise your hand if you heard of him before. Nelson, at a young age, would become involved in civil causes that were inspired by his convictions that all should be treated fairly in the eyes of God. He was known by many things to many people. To some, he was a politician, a tyrant, and a, and a rebel. And to others, he was an activist, a philanthropist, a humanitarian. But to Nelson, he was none of these things, for he did not care about a label, but he was focused on what he considered to be right and what he considered to be wrong. He was not focused on labels, but he was simply a man fighting for a people and a nation. You see, he fought against racial division and injustices. He spoke out against political corruption, and he sought to empower people by educating them of basic rights afforded to all. And in his pursuit, in his fight to do what was right, he was wronged. In his pursuit to honor convictions, he was imprisoned as a political prisoner for what many people would say were the best years of his life. You see, Nelson Mandela sat in a prison cell, left alone with his thoughts, not for a couple of days, not for a few months or even a few years, but for 27 years of his life, he was sitting behind bars in a prison. And he's, I imagine, contemplating everything he has ever did, everything he has ever said, wondering maybe if he, if he did anything wrong or if he could have done anything better. But the reality is that he is dealing with his situation. 27 years, imagine that. I imagine him going through a time of bitterness for being betrayed, depression due to hopelessness, and confusion for being rewarded, bondage simply for fighting for freedom. And after 27 years, Nelson was released from that prison cell. And he soon realized that the work that he has done so long ago was not lost. All the work that he has done was not lost behind bars, and the fruit of his efforts were not in vain. During the presidential election, people remember what he did all those years later. They remembered the seeds that he planted. They remembered the things that he has watered. They remembered his integrity and his advocacy. Regardless of the fact of what he felt about doing wrong or right, they remembered his integrity. They remembered the fact that he was true to his convictions. And they decided to elect him president of South Africa. Imagine that 27 years in prison, and now you're the president of the country that you were born in. And now Mandela, get this, he had an opportunity to take advantage of the power and to use it for evil. He had an opportunity to turn his political power to the very ones who used it against him unjustly. He had an opportunity to further divide a nation that was already divided. An opportunity to let the world know that he was right, 
and that everyone was wrong. Who loves to be right? Who loves to have the last word in an argument? Amen. Mandela has a moment right here. He has a moment to let everybody know that he was right and that they were wrong. An opportunity to have an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth to trade evil with evil. But instead, Mandela decided to publicly forgive those who wronged him. He went as far to apologize for anything that he could have done differently that he didn't do. To those who had imprisoned him, he apologized. To those who had done wrong to him, he decided to publicly forgive them. Before he was elected president, by the way. He decided to keep the satisfaction of being and feeling right to himself. And he fostered unity like never before in a nation. And he was later awarded many national and international awards. And among them was the Nobel Peace Prize he won. You see, Mandela showed that he was not just for a certain kind of people or a certain group of people, but he showed rather that he was for the people. He was for the health of a nation rather than the health of himself. He was not for the desires, but for the well-being of those he served. He, his goal was not to be right, but it was to be righteous according to his convictions. It was not about people seeing he was doing right, but he was simply doing right because it was the right thing to do. And many of Mandela's peers thought that he was out of line. Many of his peers who were on his side before he went to prison, they felt as though that he was too soft, that he was too weak. But Mandela rather chose to show his strength by allowing his fruit to speak for himself. He decided to show an entire nation how you should treat your fellow man, how you should treat the people sitting to the right and to the left of you. He decided to show people how you should treat your neighbor. And so the message that I have for us simply today is that the motivation of a child of God is not and should not be to be right, but it is to be righteous. There's a difference. There's a difference between your rightness and your righteousness. For your righteousness is rather the righteousness of God. And the struggle is that our flesh encourages this thing called pride and we feel a desire to be right, not only in our own eyes, but we feel a desire to be right in, our, in, the, in the eyes of other people. Sometimes we're okay with us knowing that we're wrong, but we want other people to know that we're right. <laughs> I don't want people to know that I made a mistake. I don't want people to know that I was wrong. Amen. It's rooted in this thing called pride, and this is fueled by insecurities for some and overconfidence for others. But both insecurities and overconfidence causes disunity. Amen. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago that pride is, is a spectrum. On this end, we have insecurities. And on this end, we have overconfidence. But both insecurity and overconfidence is rooted in self-centeredness. It's rooted in selfishness. I don't care what other people think, but I want to have the last word. I, I don't care what other people say, but, but I want them to know my thoughts, and I want them to know what I think, and I, I want them to know what I feel. But I come to tell you today that in the eyes of God, it doesn't matter what we think or what we feel. For it is the Spirit of God that unifies us. Disunity destroys movements. It was Jesus who said in Matthew 12 and 25, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. 
It's not talking about disagreement. It's talking about disunity. It's talking about not placing the kingdom of God above our own desires. The bottom line is that God tells us to seek his kingdom. In Matthew 6 and 33, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So that means that whenever I'm dealing with anything in life, whenever I have a disagreement, whenever I don't know what to do, whenever I have these thoughts and whenever I have these feelings, God says the first thing that we should do is to seek his kingdom. And it's if anything that we're going to say and if anything that we're going to do is going to contradict the work of his kingdom, then we shouldn't say it and we shouldn't do it. The second thing is just as equal unto it as the first. It was not seek the kingdom of God and then when you're done, seek righteousness. But he says seek the kingdom of God and righteousness. Righteousness is not what we conclude to be right. Righteousness is the righteousness of God. He makes the decision. He tells us what to think. He tells us what to do. He gives us the response that we should have. Can I get an amen? And a lot of times we deal with this thing called flesh because I want people to know what I'm thinking and I I want people to know what I feel, but I, I want you to imagine how many conflicts would not be conflicts if we would just learn to be quiet when we need to be quiet. I want you to think about maybe the amount of arguments that you've been in your life and, and imagine how that argument, argument might not have escalated if we would have just said, you know what, I'm not going to have the last word. Because I care more about friendship than I do about being right. Because I care more about you than I care about being right. We have to have this mindset. I I care more about my spouse than being right. I care more about being unified than being right. If I I go home and I'm divided, then I'm destroyed. But if I I go home unified, then everything's going to be okay. Amen? I want you to turn to your neighbor and say it's going to be okay. You see, many times we are trying to protect our image When we should be reminded every single day that we were not created in our own image, but we were created in the image of God. And we were created with his likeness and his qualities. And the devil fights us on that every single day. We were created to do what he considers to be righteous. You see, in his righteousness, God has a different notion that we often have. Because a lot of times we think that if we're right, everybody needs to know. I was looking, I was watching a video a couple of weeks ago, and there was this man who was talking about a tomato. And I was like, okay, what's the big deal about a tomato? And the video had nothing to do with a tomato. But in the video, he said that, he said, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. He said, wisdom is knowing not to put the tomato in a fruit salad. Humility is not arguing with anybody about it. We get it? Humility says, well, well, I can let everybody know what's going on in my mind, and I can let everybody know what's going on in my head, and I can, I can let everybody know how I feel, but is what I'm going to say and what I'm going to do, am I placing that above the kingdom of God? Am I placing that above righteousness? Am I placing that above revival? Am I, am I placing that above the harvest? Am I, am I placing that above the souls that God is calling us to reach? Am I placing that above my marriage? Am I, am I placing that above my brother and my sister who I'm, I am commanded to love more than I love my own self? You see, the righteousness of God is different. Sometimes the righteousness of God is embarrassing. Sometimes the righteousness, righteousness of God is going to offend you. Sometimes the righteousness of God is going to land you 22 years in prison, Joseph. 27 years in prison, Mandela. You see, in Jesus' righteousness, he said in Luke 23 and 34, when he was beaten, spat on, betrayed, stabbed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
In his righteousness, he, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and he didn't even say a word. In his righteousness, he simply quoted the words, it is written when he was tempted to be selfish and show his power to the devil. In his righteousness, he held the, his tongue when people were talking about his reputation and trying to ruin his name. In his righteousness, he kindly corrected his own disciples when they thought that he was an heir for serving people that they thought that they were above. In his righteousness, he chose to give Peter the keys to heaven, even though he knew that Peter was going to deny him three times. But it was Peter that he knew was going to preach. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Jesus understood that Peter was going to do something righteous. So, so Peter, I don't care that you deny me three times. I'm choosing the kingdom. I'm choosing souls over what I think about how I feel about you denying me publicly. Jesus in his righteousness valued righteousness over rightness. He valued the promise over his pain and hurt. He chose long-term blessings over short-term satisfaction. You might win that argument in the moment. You might finally get it out. But was it worth it? Can anybody think of maybe an argument that you've had ever in your life? And you say, I wish I would have said that. I wish I would not have done that. I, I knew it in the moment and I, and I was wrestling in my flesh, but they just needed to hear it. No, they don't. They, they just need to know how I feel. No, they don't. Pastor just needs to take my advice. No, he don't. Amen. Everyone who is righteous is by default right. But just because you're right doesn't make you righteous. Anybody get that one? Everyone who seeks righteousness is by default right in the eyes of God. But just because you're right, just because you have facts, just because you have information doesn't make you righteous. Righteousness seeks justice, unity, and virtue. Righteousness places others above themselves. Righteousness always considers the bigger picture. Righteousness always considers the harvest. Righteousness prefers outcome over reputation and comfort. Righteousness will allow you to gain the virtue of long-suffering. Righteousness is fighting the motivation for others to know that you're right or even hiding the fact that you're wrong. Righteousness is Joseph loving his brothers and comforting them when they deserve to be imprisoned. Righteousness was Joseph excusing the Egyptian servants so that people don't have a negative view of his brothers in the nation of Israel. I want you to think about that for a second. Imagine what, if Egypt would have got a wind in that moment of what Joseph's brothers did and why he was really crying. Imagine how that would have shaped their understanding when Joseph eventually went to Pharaoh and said, hey, can my family stay here? Imagine what would have happened if Pharaoh would have heard that, that in that moment that, that they sold Joseph to prison. Amen? Back in the day, Pharaoh, Egypt was a bit ruthless. They didn't play those kind of games. But Joseph, he had enough sense to send them away. He was protecting the promise. He was protecting his father. He was protecting his brothers. He was protecting his family. I wonder what would happen if we as a church are mindful of the words that we speak and the feelings that we express because we're trying to protect the church. We're trying to protect the body of Christ. Amen. We can clap for that. Amen. For this simple reality. For this simple reality. There are many people out in the world right now in our community. And they navigate the world based on what they think and what they feel. And they have no control over it because they don't have what you have. 
And imagine them coming into the church right now and they see us act like them. That we think and feel and we respond in kind. Instead of seeking the righteousness of God and placing the flesh under subjection to the spirit, we rather still lead with the flesh. What would that teach them? The Lord shared something with me. He, and Pastor had spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. The harvest is not getting ready. The, the harvest is already there. The souls are already there. A lot of times we, we, we have these words and these thoughts that we, we have our thoughts and our feelings that we tell ourselves. They will never receive the gospel. They're not ready. I don't need to call that person. They're, they're so sinful. They're so down in their worldliness that even if I said anything, they wouldn't even listen. And God is reminding me, he said, I, I never said to pray for the harvest. I said to pray for the laborers. There's something wrong with the mindset of the laborers, Jesus was saying in his day. Amen? He was saying that there's something that we have to pray for for the laborers. It's not that they're not available and it's not that they're not equipped, but there's a mindset that we have to overcome so that when the harvest comes, when we reach, we can do so in confidence. Amen? But we have to override our thoughts and our feelings with the things of the Spirit. Today, I want to remind us that there is a righteousness, that there is a righteousness that is not right. And if we are not careful, our rightness has the ability to rob the kingdom of God of souls. Amen. We have the ability to rob the kingdom of God of souls. Pastor said something last Wednesday in prayer, and he looked at every last one of us, and he said that you are important. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say that you are important. Sam, you right now are so powerful that you, you by yourself have the ability to stop what God is doing in this church. That's how powerful and important he is. Amen? Noelani, you, you just saying I'm not going to worship today can influence the entire church. That's how powerful you are. One person, because of what they think and what they feel, can stop the movement of God. Joseph, in that moment, just one word, just no guards, take them out. Promise of God. There, there's no wall of Jericho falling down. Amen? We are a lot more powerful and influential than we think that we are. But a lot of times it's our insecurity and our pride and our self-centeredness that keeps us from doing the things of God. And for some of us, it's our overconfidence and our pride that keeps us from doing the things of God. And God is saying that if we would just simply seek righteousness over being right, imagine the amount of souls that would come in because we're not thinking as the church, we're thinking as God at that point. I want you to think about the prodigal son. We talk about the prodigal son and we talk about the father. The third person in that party was the brother. Amen? The brother had a lot to say that was right. Think about it. You should have never left. You disrespected me and you disrespected dad. You blew all your inheritance. He, and that, I told you so. He was right. But it wasn't righteous. The father was focused on righteousness. The father was just happy about the fact that he came back. That he didn't die in his sin. The father had a revelation that the world had already chewed him up and spit him out. He didn't have to say, I told you so. He didn't have to say anything in that moment. He just embraced him because he was just happy to be back. And I'm happy about to serve a God who took me when I was going astray. Yeah, 
Amen. I'm happy to serve a God that that didn't leave me in the valley. I'm happy to serve a God that when I was desperate because I was in a situation that I placed myself in, he still picked me up. He allowed me to get up the eighth time. Amen. That's the God that we serve. A righteous God. The father was a righteous father. The brother was bitter. The brother was angry. And I imagine that if the father would have responded the way that the brother did, we would not be talking about the prodigal son who returned because he would have left again. How many souls that when they come inside these walls, they... they, they don't talk the way that we talk and they may not dress as modest as you might dress in. Maybe they might be sitting in your seat. <laughs> Amen. Here, here's an example on the difference between rightness and righteousness. The rightness is the fact that they sat in your seat and that that's a comfortable seat. Who, who loves your seat that they sit in? Amen. Oh, yes. Yeah. Some people, some people are. Yes, I love my seat. Amen. Righteousness is that when somebody sits in your seat, you don't say anything. Because imagine them eavesdropping on a conversation two years later and somebody talking about, oh, your favorite seat, and they find out that they were sitting in your seat. Like, why didn't you say anything? Because I cared more about your soul. I cared more about your family being here. I cared more about your salvation. I cared more about the kingdom of God. I cared more about righteousness than being right. I cared more about loving you. I cared more about my brother and my sister. I cared about loving God by loving people. Imagine the testimony. When we just decide to simply be righteous, the Lord had shared with me in prayer. He said that the access point for you to have a great harvest is righteousness. There's nothing to figure out at that point because we're not responding to what we feel and what we think. We're responding to the word of God. Amen. Amen. And I promise you that God cares a lot more about harvest than we care about it. The prodigal son was happy to be back home. I want to go back to our opening text or at least reference the chapter, but in Genesis chapter 50, 50, 50, Genesis chapter 50, almost all of Compton just came out of me just now. (laughs) Amen. In Genesis chapter 50, verses 20 and 21, it says, and as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring to pass as it is this day to save such people, much people alive. Now, therefore, fear not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Think about it. Joseph is meeting his brothers in our opening text. And he remembered the time when he was just a little boy, likely a teenager, and they sold him into slavery. Imagine how he felt when they were dragging him away. Imagine how he felt when he was dealing with all these things in life that that in his mind, God, these things do not reflect the dream that you gave me when I was a little boy. God, this does not look like the promise. God, this does not look like what you told me it was going to be. I imagine if he began to question whether or not he was even still called by God because the situation did not look like the promise. But can I I challenge you on a thought right now? Maybe you've been through some of the things that you've been through in life. So that you can have a Joseph experience. Maybe you had to go through what you went through in life. Just so that you can have the revelation that you have right now. Maybe you had to go through what you went through in life. To understand the power of mercy and gentleness and kind and patience and peace. So that when somebody else needs it, you know exactly how to give it. Amen. I want you to clap your hands unto the Lord if you agree with that. Maybe he was still battling in secret his hurt and pain. 
But his response was righteous and selfless. He, he didn't tell his brothers maybe what his flesh wanted to, to tell them. But Joseph decided, no, I, I'm going to be righteous because I see what God was doing. And I, I see the virtue of, of why I had to go through what I went through to be where I am now. And, and if God didn't send me there, then I would not be here to help you. You see, Joseph in this moment is trusted by God. And God does not place more on, more on us than we can bear. So God knew exactly what Joseph was capable of handling. God knew exactly what you were capable of ha handling. For he says in his word that he will never put more on you than you can bear. Well, Brother Brooks, why did I have to go through all those things? Would you have the insight that you have and the wisdom that you have if you did not go through all those things? Would you have a testimony for a soul who comes through that door who's thinking about going back outside the door? Would, would you have the testimony that you have right now to keep them? God trusted Joseph in the same way that he trusted Peter in the New Testament. God knew that Peter was going to deny him three times. But he still gave him the keys to heaven because he knew that eventually Peter was going to respond in righteousness. God had told Peter that, hey, I trust you. I'm giving you the keys to heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Peter, whatever you speak right now is going to take place. When you lay hands on somebody, it's going to happen. Not because of your rightness, but because of the righteousness. Not because of you trying to make something hokey and happen, but simply because the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. Peter, I'm giving you access right now. Whatever you speak is going to happen. Peter, you have the ability to stop the church. You don't have to preach Acts 2.38. You don't have to be a disciple. You don't have to be a, an apostle. You don't have to do any of these things. But Peter, I'm trusting that you would make the right decision. Peter, I'm trusting that you're going to turn the other cheek. Peter, I'm trusting that you're going to go an extra mile. Peter, I'm trusting that you're going to give up your cloak. Uh, Peter, I'm trusting that you're going to choose my spirit over your flesh. Amen? Joseph, in this moment, he has the exact same ability that we have right now. I, I, I don't know how I would have responded in Joseph's shoes. I really don't. I don't know if, I, if, if it would have just been WWF and murder. I, I don't know, like... It's, it's so fresh in that moment. I, I don't know how Joseph kept it all together. But the insight that he gave us was that he understood what God was doing. And he told his brothers that you meant it for evil and it was not nice and you hurt my feelings and all these things. But, but what you meant for evil, God meant that thing for good all along. That thing that the devil meant for evil, God says, I was planning on working it all out for the good of those who love me and are called according to my purpose all along. This was the understanding that Joseph had. And he chose the promise over his feelings. God is saying that I'm looking for a church who chooses the promise over their feelings. I'm looking for a church. It doesn't matter whether or not you are in agreement with your neighbor. It doesn't matter whether or not you're in agreement with leadership. It doesn't matter. Righteousness over your thoughts. Righteousness over your feelings. Righteousness over your way. Amen. The reality is simply this. When our goal in life is to be right, we make ourselves narrow-minded and self-centered. I want, I want everybody to listen to these thoughts. When our goal in life is to be right, we make ourselves narrow-minded and self-centered. When we are self-centered, we are no longer able, we are no longer about the body and for souls or even for the harvest. We have rather become like the devil who felt as though that his thoughts and his feelings and his agenda was above the things of God. It is satanic to place your thoughts and your feelings above righteousness. 
Well, I have some great ideas and nobody's listened to them. Righteousness. Well, I don't agree with that, that approach. Righteousness. Well, I, that person offended me. Righteousness. Well, I'm suffering. So did Jesus. For the Bible says that we are called to share in his suffering. I want us to all stand right now. I said all I said to bring us to this, to, this, to this moment for us as a church. I was going through some things a little while back and I was asking the Lord, I don't like what I'm thinking and I don't like what I'm feeling. What do I need to do? <laughs> because half the time we don't even like the thoughts that we think. And sometimes the feelings that we have, we don't want to wrestle with them. Like, we don't want to wrestle with anger. We don't want to wrestle with frustration. We don't want to wrestle with disappointment. We don't want to wrestle with all these things. But the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. Amen? That these are the things that we wrestle with in life. You know that it's real, and you know that the devil's at work. You, we have to remember that it was not just the devil who fell. His demons fell too. And whenever you are presented with the spirit, it's a demon at work. Amen? If you feel depression, it's a demonic attack. If you feel sadness, if you feel all these kind of suicide, whatever it is, if you feel something, the devil's presenting something to you. He's presenting a feeling. And we get to pick and choose whether or not we're going to identify with that feeling. I was speaking to Sam and Ansley today, and we we're just talking about, you know, different things in the Bible. And I, I find it interesting how the devil tries to change our identity. The devil tried to change Joseph's identity. The devil would have loved if Joseph would have responded like an Egyptian. He would have loved that. Joseph, you're powerful. You're an, you're an Egyptian, and you're the second one in charge of a first world nation. Just you point the finger, and it's done. Amen. But notice how if, if, if I go to pastor right now and we're meeting for the first time and I say, pastor, my name is Donald Brooks. Nice to meet you, sir. But, but I want you to think about a time that somebody asks, well, well, how are you today? I'm depressed. You hear that identity? We change our name to, from whatever we are to whatever that spirit is. We don't have to identify with those spirits. We don't have to identify with the fence. Well, I'm offended. Well, that's a, that's a nice name. It's a terrible name. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm depressed. I'm suicidal. The devil loves us to identify with things that are not us. The Bible says that we were created in the image of God after his likeness. Amen? And the Lord has shared this with me. He said that my church is very good at consecrating their, 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 their finances. They're very good at consecrating their time. To consecrate, it means to set yourself aside for something greater. Some translation says it, it is to purify. It is to come out from among something that is impure. Yeah. And the devil wants us to, to act like the world, to be of the world, and to respond how he res responded. Because in heaven, that's how he responded. He had thoughts and he had feelings and he responded on them and God kicked them out of heaven. Amen. But the Lord is sharing with us that I'm looking for a church who's willing to place what I think and what I feel, his righteousness above what we think and what we feel. 
He's looking for a church to consecrate. Because when you think about it, you can give up all the time that you want for the kingdom of God. I'm serving in the kingdom of God. I, I go to church and I pray and I fast and I, I give up my finances. And God has been doing great things and I see those fruits. But to consecrate your emotions is difficult. Consecrating what you feel, who's very dramatic in their feelings? Just be honest. Tell the truth and shame the devil. Sometimes we can be so caught up in what we feel. And if I don't get it out, what we're saying is that, God, you can't have your way. God, if, if I just can't get my feeling, God is just saying, I just need you to consecrate that. I just need you to keep that to yourself. Yeah. Be, because you're going to see, like Joseph, in time, why it was important for you to stay silent. You're going to see why in time, why it was important for you to just hold that in and exer exercise some spiritual discipline. Because God is saying that as I showed you mercy when I was right, I chose yeah. righteousness. Yeah. I chose your soul. I chose eternal life for you and your family. If we can all come to the front right now. As you come, I want you to say righteousness over rightness. God is doing great things with our church. But we have not seen anything yet. We haven't seen anything. Like, I, I know, like, we've done some great things. The Spirit of God has moved in a mighty way. But we haven't seen anything yet. The Promise Campaign, when I say that's going to challenge us, it's going to push us. Amen? But God is saying that I'm looking for a righteous church. I'm looking for a church that would seek my kingdom that would seek my face and all that they do. I don't, I don't understand why we're doing this. God says righteousness. I, I, I don't feel unified with my brother and sister. God is saying righteousness. I have a, a, a simple thought right before we have altar call and we pray. And a question, do you know who it is you're standing next to? I don't think, uh, and I just feel this right now, I don't think that any of us know who we're standing next to. We don't. Do you know whether or not you're standing next to somebody who's going to pray 50 people through the Holy Ghost? Do you know whether or not you're standing next to a prophet, an evangelist, a missionary? Do you know how much God thinks of that person that's standing next to you? Do you know how much they're a part of the body? Do you know what God went through for that soul? The physical things, the emotional things, the spiritual things yeah. that they have wrestled through that God has delivered them from? Yeah. Do you know how God is going to use that for them to change many lives? I don't think that we understand each other as much as we should, for if we did, oh my gosh, on a Sunday morning, we would worship along with that person in a new way. Yeah. We would reach out and encourage that person in a new way. We would hold our tongue and our emotions and our feelings in a new because there would be perspective and there would be insight. And God is saying that I know that you've been out there in the world and I know that you've been through what you've been through, but God says that there is these thoughts that I think toward you, declares the Lord. Not to harm you, but to give you hope in the future. And we have to protect each other's future. We have to protect the call. We have to protect the promise. And sometimes we're not going to see eye to eye. 
Sometimes you're not going to understand certain things that people say. But God says that if you would just consecrate your emotions, when you consecrate your emotions, you're saying, God, I give them up. God, like I've given up my life. God, like you, you, dicta, you tell me what to do with my finances. You tell me what to do with my time. God, I'm submitted to pastor. And if he tells me to be at church at 5 o'clock, I'm going to be there. But, but the one thing that can destroy everything is our emotions. Because of what we feel. What we're getting ready to do as a church. We're simply saying, God, I am surrendering my heart to you. I'm surrendering my thoughts to you. I'm surrendering what I think and what I feel. Because from this point forward, I am never going to allow my thoughts and my feelings to dictate what I do. You may be right, but your approach might not be righteous. There might not be any fruit if you just do it your way. Pastor, I want to thank you so much. Because I'm flawed. I'm fickled. I, I do a lot of things wrong and I, I mess up and I'm not perfect like no one else here is. Pastor knows me. He can read me like a book. But I love how he responds when he corrects. Because his focus is not to be right. His focus is not to say, D. Brooks, you should not have done that. But his focus is righteousness. Because he cares more about me being a youth pastor. He cares more about me being a good husband. He cares more about me being a good minister. He cares more about me making it to heaven than he does his feelings getting across. We have to have that mindset. Because God says, if the church will do that, there's going to be so many souls that come in here and we're going to be positioned to love them the right way. With every hand lifted up. If you have the Holy Ghost, I just want you to pray. I just want you to pray in the Spirit. Just allow the Spirit of God to move on you right now. It's your surrender. It's your declaration unto the Lord. God, I'm giving you right now my heart, dear God. Father, dear God, I'm very attached to my emotions, dear God. I, I've been through some things in life, dear God, but I'm surrendering it to you right now. My, my pride, dear God, my, my insecurities and my overconfidence, I, I'm giving it to you right now, dear God, because I care more about revival, dear God, than my rightness, dear God. I, I care more about souls, dear God, than what I think and what I feel, oh Lord. I care more about my brother and my sister. I care more about the promise. I care more about doing right in your eyes, dear God, than I care about myself, dear God. More than I love me, dear God. I love you, dear God, and I love my brother. And I, I love those who are not here with me right now, dear God. I, I choose righteousness right now in this moment. God is transforming the hearts of some people right now. I want you to just reach right now. And don't put your hands down until you get what you need. Don't put your hands down until God just confirms in your spirit. I just want you to pray right now. I just want you to push. This is part of the test. Am I willing to push and do right when I don't feel like it? Am I willing to pray when I don't feel like it? Am I willing to listen to instructions when I don't feel like it? Am I willing to push? Because my discipline is a reflection of my love to the Lord. Hallelujah. Don't stop praying. Just continue to pray. Father, right now, dear God, we come before you right now, Jesus, as humbly as we know how, dear God. Father, dear God, there's going to be a great revival, dear God. There's going to be an influx of souls coming in here, dear God. And you're looking for people who can disciple them, dear God. You're looking for people who can inspire them, dear God. You're looking for people with similar testimonies, dear God, who can speak into their life, dear God, in the name of Jesus. 
allow the God to work allow the Lord to work on your heart right now we're not going to rush this moment if you need to find a place and pray I just want you to pray if you feel led to pray with somebody I want you to go and pray with them right now but I just want you to be the church right now I just want you to to be the hands and the feet of the Lord right now just let's just be the body right now let's just be faithful to the Lord as he has been faithful to us Let's have a sacrifice of time and a sacrifice of emotions. God, I surrender to you right now. That's it right there. That's it right there. Just push a little longer right now. God, there's a calling that you have on my life. Father, dear God, there are some souls, dear God. I'm going to lay hands on some people and I'm going to pray them through the Holy Ghost, dear God. And I'm going to lay hands on other people, dear God, and I'm going to pray words of healing, dear God. And they're going to be healed, dear God, but I don't want my emotions to get in the way of the promise, dear God. Hallelujah. That's it right there. Just continue to pray. It's a personal decision. But your personal decision, it blesses the entire body. It blesses the whole church. I know there's pain, Joseph. I know there's disappointment, Peter. I know people betrayed you and they did all kinds of evil things against you. But God says that if you would just give me that hurt, don't identify with the hurt and don't identify with the pain. Don't, don't identify with the depression. That's it right there. Because when you're laying down, you're not going to pick up again. You're not going to pick up offense again. You're not going to pick up anger again. You're going to feel the spirits, but you're not going to respond to it. Because God says that he's giving you the keys. Because of your response, he's trusting you with the keys to heaven. And when you pray with people, whatever you speak, it will be done. Whenever you pray with healing, people are going to receive healing. Whenever you pray for people to get the Holy Ghost, they're going to receive the Holy Ghost. Because of what you're willing to give up. God, I give you my heart. I give you my mind, dear God. I give it all to you right now, Lord. Hallelujah. feel this in the Holy Ghost to do this right now if you're praying continue to pray but I want you to try to listen to me at the same time God wants us to leave it here and never pick it up again he he doesn't just want us to have a move of the spirit and then to deal with it when we leave but there is some hurt in this sanctuary right now there is some pain in here right now and God simply says, I want to deliver you from that pain. And I want to deliver you from that hurt. I don't want your emotions to control you any longer. You don't want to be angry, but you find yourself angry. You don't want to be sad, but sometimes it's hard to fight the sadness. You don't, you don't like feeling anxious, but it's hard to fight that anxiety. 
If there are some emotional things that you're dealing with, don't, me too, don't, don't feel ashamed. If there are some emotional things that you're dealing with, I just want you to come right here. Just come right here up front. God's going to deliver you right now in this moment. Not eventually, not later, but right now in this moment. Something's happened. Some things that you have not let go of. You've tried to shake it, but it seems as though that it keeps coming back and it controls what you think through, throughout the day and it controls how you feel throughout the day. If you would just think of the thought, God says, I want to deliver you of that right now. That's it right there. If you're up here, I just want you to reach to the Lord. We have to understand we're not adults in the eyes of God. Teenagers, you're not a teenager in the eyes of God. You're not a teenager. You're not knowledgeable. You're not insightful. You don't have the answers. I, and I say this respectfully, your thoughts and your feelings mean nothing because it's done us no good without the Spirit of God. But the Bible says that we're the children of God. We're His children. And a child has no reason not to trust mom and dad. We have no reason not to trust the Lord. And like a child reaches up to be picked up, I just want you to extend your hands to the Lord right now. And when you reach in a way that you've never reached before, God's going to break that emotional bondage right now. That's it right there. Close your eyes and just reach. That's it right there. Somebody's getting it right here. Right here, somebody just broke, it just broke right there, yes. Reach right now in the name of Jesus. Reach right now. Somebody, somebody just got theirs right here. Reach right now. No longer will it control you. No longer will it control you. You're free right now. I bind the spirit of fear right now. I bind the spirit of anxiety right now. I bind every suicidal, depressive spirit right now. I bind every handicapped spirit right now. I bind it right now in the name of Jesus. For you are free in the name of Jesus. You are free right now. You are free right now in the name of Jesus. That's it right there. The Lord is breaking it. He's breaking it right now. Strongholds are breaking right now. It's not going to control your day anymore. It's not going to control your reaction anymore. But right now in this moment, the Lord says that you are free. And you are free indeed. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty right now. Some of you are on the edge right now. You're battling right now. Don't try to make sense of it. Just surrender it right now. God says, if you would just surrender it, I will take it from there. He says, if you surrender it, I will take it from there. Hallelujah. Somebody just got their freedom right now. There it is. Don't stop. You're going to feel a break in your spirit. You're going to feel a break in your spirit. Receive it right now. That's it right now. This is the day that you are done with the past. This is the day that you are done with the pain. You're done with the hurt. Hallelujah. That's it. Thank you, Jesus.